Small things, truth care, truth brings. I'll take one leg, you'll ride last stray. Say it ain't so, I will not go. Turn the lights off, carry me home. Today we're talking about Blink 182. Welcome to Pop Culture Catechism, conversations about music, movies, and the longings of the human heart. Let's get started. Will I ever grow up? Does anybody like me? Am I even good at anything? Am I destined to die alone? Forgive me if I sound a little bit emo, but today we are talking about emo pop punk royalty. One of the bands that started it all was super influential through the, the 2010s and early 2000s and is having a resurgence because of the resurgence of pop punk music. Today we're talking about Blink-182, who has sold a bazillion records, and I'm very happy today to be joined by uh, my friend Anthony D'Ambrosio, who is also the founder of Catholic Creatives and doing a lot of other cool stuff as well. My name is Mike Tenney. I'm a Catholic speaker and worship leader from Washington, D.C. I spent over a decade doing Catholic high school education and then at night trying to grind, make it as a rock star and win Grammys and all that sorts of things. And now I speak and lead worship for thousands of people each year through this uh, podcast, but also through live events. And I love talking with people about pop music and movies and just the, the media we consume, but how there's often a deeper lesson in it. So I call this pop culture catechism. It's the gospel according to pop music and movies. And so by the end of the episode today, my hope for you, listener, is that not only will you have a deeper appreciation for Blink-182 and emo music, but also you'll have some practical tips for how to experience God's love in your life a little bit better and how to apply that to the people you meet every day. So... Let's go ahead and get into it. Before we do that, I just want to say a special quick thank you to our patrons who make the show possible through their monthly patronage at popculturecatechism.com and the Awaken Catholic app. Thank you guys so much. Anthony D'Ambrosia, how are you, man? Yo, yo, what's up, man? I'm here. <laughs> Good. I'm pumped to be here. I am pumped to be here too. So tell the beautiful people about your beautiful self. <laughs> Well, um, I've been working for 34 years on cultivating this beauty. Uh, got a mustache that's been, you know, a few, it's probably, probably a month long. Uh, no, uh, I am a entrepreneur, filmmaker, designer, uh, and founder of Catholic creatives, founder of a creative agency called Sherwood fellows. And, um, right now I work for a company called Catholic ventures, um, building their uh, e-commerce platform, Catholic.store. You can think of it a little bit like a Catholic Huckberry or lifestyle goods for Catholic homes. So um, yeah, and uh, outside of that, my interests have spanned from being a rock star as well. I <laughs> was in a, a band in high school and um, was dreaming to go to Warp Tour, went to seminary instead, and then <laughs> uh, spent about six years doing youth ministry, speaking, all of that stuff. On the speaker circuit before making the pivot into doing marketing creative work um and consulting with with churches so yeah really happy to be here and uh pumped to to talk about one of my favorite things which is uh pop punk music and blink 182 yeah and and Anthony, you, I, I knew about you before I, I got to know you a little bit through Catholic Creative. So Catholic Creatives is, is you and just like some of your friends and your brothers, I think, started this 
this place online. Well, it started in person with just some of you in, in, in Dallas. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of the details, but a place where creative people in the church can develop this kind of new renaissance of art in the church. Because the, the cliche is kind of like, oh, Christian art, it's kind of like not as good as other stuff. But that's kind of a modern thing. Like through much of Christian history, like Christians were at the cutting edge of art. And so this idea of a new renaissance and that we're trying to collaborate, not compete with each other. And so you guys launched this initiative and it just spoke so much to my heart. So I got involved in the online community. Now I'm, I'm an admin with the, the Facebook group and I've gotten to know a lot of people through the community and my connections here at Awaken Catholic, the way I got doing this show was through Catholic creatives. Like some, some of my closest friends now are people I've met through Catholic creatives. So I, I am hugely indebted to you for the work that you've done as like great fruit in my life. And even, um, when you were running the Catholic creatives podcast, just kind of the way that you were as a host and some of the vulnerability you brought to some of, um, the conversations have been a model for me and how I run my show. And also you just been mm. like, you've been real supportive of me and a cheerleader of me. Like even before we got to know each other, uh, you helped me just get hooked up with guests and all sorts of stuff. So, um, I'm really grateful to you just for being who you are and, uh, the way you helped me. So thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm super pumped. Um, I think that my, um, yeah, I it, it's been an amazing, amazing journey. And uh, I don't know why God sort of put me as the person to plant that flag on the ground to say, uh, here's where we're all meeting, everybody that's Catholic and creative. Um, but uh, somehow that that became my my role in, in a way in the church for the last like six to 10 years. So yeah. Um, I, I would say the same thing, like being, I've gotten to be the sort of person that has made thousands of friends online through this crazy thing called the internet. Um, and uh, yeah, it's amazing. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, Blink-182 has sold over 50 million records worldwide. They're kind of this seminal pop punk band. I think maybe Green Day was a little bit before them and people credit Weezer with being uh, kind of the beginning of the emo moment. But they, they were kind of this crystallization of a little bit Weezer, a little bit Green Day, a little bit a little bit of like the old school punk from the eighties and it kind of launched everything we got afterwards with fallout boy and paramore and panic at the disco, um, and all American rejects through, through the, through the aughts and the 2010s. And right now in music, we're having this, this moment of revitalization and rebirth of pop punk, uh, machine gun Kelly's getting into that more, that style more, uh, Willow Smith is doing that style more Travis Barker. They're, uh, the drummer from blink 182 is, like he's a major producer and he's playing on everybody's records again. He, he did a concert with Post Malone. Um, so it's like Blink-182 is relevant again because of just their influence. And uh, so it's, 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 it's cool to be talking about them in, uh, in 2022. So what, what do you love about them? Uh, well, the first time that I heard a, that I heard a Blink-182 song, um, you know, it, it I think everybody has moments, particularly when they're young, where they discover certain music that says something to their souls or about their souls that perhaps they never would have been able to express. And uh, yeah, I think that I found in them an honesty and a radical vulnerability, as well as like a hope, you know, that all kind of came together in the way that they played their music. Like their music is so fun, you know, it's a very funny and rebellious and kind of cheeky mm -hmm. while at the same time it's speaking to certain parts of family life and to growing up that um that are really hard things 
<laughs> like I listen to a lot of music, you know, a, a lot of music now that um, it feels so abstract and un inaccessible. Like mm-hmm. this is me sort of bagging perhaps on pop music now, which is perhaps it's, it's a pretty easy thing to uh, straw man to like, to, to punch at. But mm-hmm. I think that when I listen to a lot of music that, that is being written now, you can't really understand the lyrics or the, or they are about things that are so obvious and easy to talk about and normal to talk about that there's nothing really that special about what is being spoken. Mm. But you think about like, you know, the breadth of topics that Blink-182 would write about, and it basically just captures adolescence in, in a box. Like it's like every bit of the experience of, uh, going through puberty is like there, you know, all mm-hmm. of the positive um, experiences of just like, you know, joy and passion and fun, while at the same time, like all of the angst of connecting with the the brokenness of the world and yeah. trying to process that mm-hmm. both in the family and in school and, you know, uh, in the public sphere. So all yeah. of that to me mm-hmm. made me fall in love with them. All right. Well, that's a, that's a good intro. Cause that, that's, that's, that's a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about, um, later. Uh, the thing that I really, so there's two things I really appreciate about them. Um, all the things you said, but I appreciate, um, the simplicity of the music, but it's still like very artfully arranged. Um, so they have like simple little guitar parts. It's mostly like power chords, which are very simple chords to play. If you don't know anything about guitar, just it's like two fingers or three fingers in the same shape that just kind of moves around. Um, and then simple little riffs like, uh, I took her out. It was a Friday night. It's very, very simple. Um, and then, uh, the, but then the rhythms, and I think this is where Travis Barker has like been so influential, is the the switching up of different time signatures and the, the rhythmic of their songs. That, uh, uh, there's a, a famous professor at Catholic University who just passed away named Dr. Leo Nestor, and he he ran the, the, the music there for a long time. And one of the things he would always say to the choir is, the first fundamental element of music is rhythm. More than anything else, you need good rhythm. And I, if you've been in bands, and in my opinion, for having been in bands, I would take a good drummer over a good singer. A good drummer is like the most important thing. And Travis Barker is just like uh, uh, amazing. So, so for example, um, the, uh, and it'll happen once again, you turn to a friend, someone understands, sees through the master plan. But every, so the, the tempo stays the same. It's all one, two, three, four, but you're two three four or one two three four one two three four and that switch up from the what they call cut time to regular time to double time is they're doing that all over the place and that's had a huge influence on on music ever since even in even in hip-hop uh, which he's done a lot of so I, I i rhythmically especially i really like what they're doing so yeah, yeah. I, it's it's a um you can't listen to songs now that are on the radio and then go back and listen to like that era of drum playing mm-hmm. and and feel any sort of you you, ha, you are like immediately blown away at least for me mm-hmm. like when i i listened to the new blink 182 cd i was yeah. like i've been missing drums <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. like you know it's it's very easy to uh and even just playing a straight you know four on the floor just like a straightforward beat to keep the the 
uh, song going, it's hard. It mm-hmm. still takes masterful yeah. drumming to be able to like keep time. But just the amount of creativity and flair and like dynamism mm-hmm. that was being brought to music during pop punk days when mm-hmm. it was just four people or three people yeah, in a band. Uh-huh. You know? Like you have that sort of simplicity where you pare everything down to just that and you don't have backing tracks, you don't have like all the electronic stuff. Yeah. You have to somehow create something really interesting and different and unique with the like that one instrument. And for <laughs> sure the um the advent of pop punk brought drumming uh really really creative drumming to mainstream yeah, music. I think so too. I think so too. Yeah. Um the one thing I would say I don't always like about them is um they they they, they kind of like the whiny voice. The whiny voice, yeah. Like oh, I cry all the time <laughs> in the night. Good boy. boy. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. just <laughs> the the stereotypical emo voice. Yeah, I didn't know I didn't wow. know it was like that, but yeah. Uh-huh. All right, anything artistically before we move on to spiritual themes? Oh no, dude! I'm all I'm all about the spiritual themes. Let's awesome. jump into the Jesus talk. Very cool, very cool. So you started off by talking about just being a young man, going through puberty, having all this like joy and enthusiasm for life, but also all this angst and like insecurity. Um, there's so many songs we could choose. There's, uh, um, I think the one that stands out to me first and foremost is "What's My Age Again." Nobody mm-hmm. likes you when you're 23, uh, and it's 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 a little cheeky, um, a little immature. Um, so, like, what to you as a young man? What what hit you about Blink 182? What what resonated with you? Um, <laughs> well, y- the whole thing about like that time, right? This is what 2000 and uh maybe one or two mm-hmm. somewhere in there when i first discovered them and their music videos were always making fun of things that were like the things that everybody else was doing yeah. and somehow being really um just hilarious and i think that when um i don't know just like bands bands that are willing to be really funny with the way that they approach things they're like telling a story in a way like i mean the what's my age again one like the music video for that is is them running around naked right like it's (laughs) just like streaking which of course is like classic young adult young man like kid thing to do Mm -hmm. um but uh one of the other ones i can't remember which one was the small things or something like that where they're going around giving money to people um or Josie or Dan, I can't remember which movie it was, but they, they basically just have a bunch of money in there going around town, like giving people money to do ridiculous things. And uh, yeah, like the, the, just the sense of joy and um, exuberance and play I loved. And that was, that was not just in the way that they looked, but it was in the way that they, you know, showed up to their concerts. They were famous for having hilarious banter it was mm-hmm. almost like a stand-up comedy routine mm-hmm. slash concert. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, they were willing to say the things that nobody else was willing to say, uh, but it wasn't dark yet. You know, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that um, as you trace music from like the pop punk thing all the way through emo uh, from like 2000 and t- 2001 all the way through like 2010, the 
the sense of darkness in the music like gets more and more and more oppressive and, yeah. and like painful. Mm -hmm. Whereas um, Blink-182, they were able to like strike this balance between that play, which was so central mm -hmm. and this sense of ability to say the things that no one else could say or talk about. Um, mm -hmm. Like for instance, uh, writing a song about suicide, like yeah. that's next to the song about, you know, all the small things or like first date, right? It's mm -hmm. like the same CD, here's a song about suicide. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a really difficult song about divorce and how that like stay, stay together for the kids, like how divorce is affecting families. So like they're saying things that come directly from personal experience from the heart mm -hmm. um, about just like the pain of growing up. And also they're willing to say like, uh, this is what it feels like to be on a first date. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm jealous of everybody in the room, you know, like it's <laughs> I, just really, uh, endearing. So I, yeah. I like, I like how you, there, there's that juxtaposition of like the good and bad of being young. Like, you know, I worked in uh, uh Catholic high school for 14 years. And so, uh, people would always say, um, uh, anyway, I've had some adult perspective on high school and growing up and, and adolescence, and I've had quite a bit of time to to think about it and see um, a lot of people make that journey, and <laughs> and uh, pe people sometimes ask me like, "Do you wish you could go back?" And there's a certain like going back to college or they're that age when you were younger or going back to high school, like there's a certain amount of like, "Yeah, I didn't have any free, uh, you know, I, I didn't have any obligations as much." Um, but there's another part of me that like definitely doesn't want to go back because I was an yeah. idiot and I was insecure and I didn't know who I was. I didn't know if anybody liked me when I was 17 or 23 or whatever. And I was super awkward on, on dates. And I didn't know if girls liked me. And it was like, so there's this part of growing up that it does have this joy to it, but also this, like, it's hard. Growing up is yeah. hard. And I, I think we are, we're all still growing up, but I wonder if, if you and I can talk about um, what, what does it take to grow up, especially as a young man. Cause I, I see, I see, especially in a lot of the young men that I work with, they don't know what it means to like grow up. They don't know what it means to, to move from, from, from boyhood to, to manhood. And maybe, maybe girls struggle with that too, but I, I just know that that's something I see as a man and looking at myself when I was young and looking at, at boys today. And I wonder like, I don't know, how did, <laughs> how did you deal with that? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the question as a, I guess I'm going to talk about it in terms of my relationship with Blink-182. Okay. And we'll just kind of like run along on that. I'm just going to riff on that for Go a little ahead. bit because it's verbal processing. I haven't really tried to like put those two things together. But sure. um, I think that uh, part of like part of what Blink-182 was doing was like as jesters in a way, they were pointing out the the problems with society. And that was like, uh, I mean, anytime that you, even if you read Shakespeare, like mm -hmm. the jester is always a character in his plays yeah. and that the key of that character is they're funny in a way that makes them feel almost like separate from society and from everything else going on in the play. And that funniness allows them to say things that no one else in the play can say uh, to the king or mm -hmm. to people who have power. And, um, I think that like what their, their role was and why it was so profound to me was that, um, I felt like there was so much that you couldn't say as a kid, mm. like 
you weren't allowed to point at these things that didn't make sense in society that seemed painful and broken and selfish about how grownups or the, you know, previous generation had set things up. And um, so you had to just be quiet and kind of be like a victim in a way of that and conform. And uh, they were, they were sort of championing this ability to, um, to speak out, but like without doing so from just this like angry place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, you know, particularly that song, like Anthem part two, I mm-hmm. just, I loved it so much. It's this, um, it's this deep guttural cry for, uh, for this generation. Like basically they're saying this generation is messed up in a way that no one else, uh, like people perhaps are are saying, you know, like adults are saying this generation is messed up, but the the adults are not acknowledging the things that they have done to set us up to be messed up, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like, song goes, everything has fallen to pieces. Earth is dying. Help me, Jesus. We need guidance. We've been misled, young and hostile, but not stupid. And uh, yeah, like, thank you. That's awesome. Something- <laughs> you got a good yeah. voice, man. I don't know if I've ever heard you sing. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I was in a I was in a Blink One Eighty Two cover band. For like, yeah, <laughs> that's great. whatever. Um, so no, I I think that like what they were saying was, hey, we we're acting out, but it's because like, we don't have guidance. Mm. And that speaks so deeply to my soul. Like I had, I had probably a half, half, yeah, zero conversations about puberty, sexuality, personal growth, like outside of, Hey, you shouldn't do this. Mm. Like I had zero real guidance when I was going through that part of my life. And I felt so isolated and alone and ashamed and angry and like uh insecure and i don't think that's how this how you're supposed to go through puberty Mm -hmm. like i think that's actually incredibly toxic to be sort of left to your own devices with the shark you know thrown to the sharks i guess if you will like the suburban world of of public high school Mm -hmm. um where it really is dog eat dog i think that um in order for me to become a man, I needed other men who had walked that journey who could say, this is what I felt and what I did and what I didn't do. And it's okay that you feel those things and you're doing these things or like, you know, don't do these things, but like, it's normal, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, just like the discovery of sexuality for me was so, so shameful and isolated and like, Mm -hmm. could never ever talk about it to adults, to parents, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the seeing how distant families were, parents were from their kids mm-hmm. in suburbia, like the the rat race for getting more uh, big things, but like divorce being just a looming thing that's on the horizon for every family of every kid that I knew. Mm-hmm. Like anyway, all that stuff was pretty messed up. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, all these like people are like, oh man, like you guys suck. Like you, this generation is going to hell in a handbasket. And it's like, (laughs) 
don't pass the buck. Like yeah. your job is to be here with us mm-hmm. and to show us how to do this. Yeah. And you've abdicated. So you, you can't like, anyway, so okay. it's, cool, it's a, cool. okay. An okay, an okay boomer moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Boomer. Anyway. So I think that, um, yeah, that, and then also, um, well, well hold, hold on, hold on just a second. Yeah. First of all, thank you for, for saying that because what, what you just shared, like certainly a lot of what you said resonates with me. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it resonates with a lot of people and, and having, having taught sexuality, um, to many young people through the years, like doing, doing units on it in class and giving talks on it. One of the questions I often ta- to ask is, um, you know, whose parents have talked to them about sex and it's always a minority, always yeah. a minority. A lot of kids, the way they find out about sex is through pornography from their friends, just because the the parents just are so awkward and don't want to talk about it. And I I think you, you are hitting on something that is, is so, so important. You said, I didn't know how to become a man until I met some grown up, some, some men that were willing to walk with me and say, I felt those things too. It's okay to feel those things. And you know, maybe you've made some mistakes, but, but it, it, it like, it, it's okay. And uh, one of the, one of the questions I've kind of had in my notes when I was thinking about this topic is like, should a Christian man be emo, <laughs> you know? And, and I think we get this kind of fake facade of Christian manliness sometime that it's, it's like, stoicism, you know, like you just don't have many emotions and you just do hard stuff and you're responsible and, and self-disciplined and like doing hard things and having perseverance and being courageous and having self-discipline is like great. But what, what happens to a man when he doesn't learn about his interior life and his emotions and how to express them is he just gets angry. He gets angry and he gets sad because that's the, those are like the only emotions that men are like um, quote unquote allowed to have in our society. Um, so I, I think it's, it's, this is one of the reasons I love Tolkien. I talk about Tolkien all the time on this show, but like the men in Tolkien, they're like courageous and self-disciplined and super skilled, but they're also like constantly hugging and kissing each other, appreciating beauty, telling each other how much they love each other. Like they have this rich emotional life and it's such a robust vision of male friendship and of what it means to be a a, a full man. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't say blink when, 82 capture it quite as well as Tolkien does, but they're on to something like in the irreverence, yeah. in the, in, in, in the running around in their underwear, like there's and and then in the songs where they're talking about divorce and, um, suicide, like they're, they're capturing something, a, a lacuna, if you will, there's your SAT word for the day. There's something that is missing in our society. And even in, in, in Catholic Christian societies, development of men is understanding our own emotions and what to do with those. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that it is a, uh, in looking at Blink-182, like why, why does everything get darker and darker and darker after them? Like, I think that, um, what they're doing is they're pointing out something that's wrong, but, and, and they're bringing a, an important part of that, like pointing out the thing that's wrong is like a big, very important part of the healing yes. process. Mm-hmm. But they still didn't have that. There wasn't that sense of like, okay, there's these guys over them who are kind of showing them how to like grow up. You know, yeah. like you certainly don't get the sense in listening to them or watching their music videos that they are growing up, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And um, I think that it's, it's like, 
yeah whenever the 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 chain between man and son is broken um it's like it's one thing to be able to say hey this is broken it's another thing to be able to fix it yeah and for me the way that i had to sort of go about fixing that was to start finding other men who could help me yes. rather than like being the one that could criticize society and being mm-hmm. like, you know, this is all messed up. I'm going to like just rebel against it. Mm-hmm. I had to be able to like find inside of me what was messed up for me, become accountable to that and like accept a sort of, you know, responsibility for that growth. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so vulnerability is a really important part of that, but also just like, being willing to get into those intimate relationships with men where we're like sharpening each other and yes. becoming accountable and things like that. So, so something that, uh, uh, I have a couple friends who are psychologists, which comes in handy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, one of the, one of my, my buddies was explaining to me, he says there, there are certain like tasks that are supposed to happen for a healthy person in adolescence. He says the three tasks of adolescence, I wrote them down are, um, figuring out your identity, your community, and your mission, your identity, your community and your mission. And looking back, I realized like, Oh, like I found those through church. Like I found those through my youth group. Like it was the first place I felt like I had been accepted by a community is the first place I learned like to, to pray. And I like felt like God was real. And that's how I like learned my identity and who I was. And it's where I, I gained a real sense of mission for like, um, and, and also for my brothers, I have two awesome older brothers who were also like, and, and, and a great dad. But I think as, as the youngest, I also looked up to my older brothers a lot. They just have like such a heart for the poor. And they're just like, um, they're, they're super into just justice and, and, and poverty work and just super compassionate, prayerful men. Um, and so, learning, I I feel like I learned all those in various ways through my spiritual formation. And when you don't get those and you don't know who you are and you don't know where you belong and you don't know what your mission is or your goal is in life, of course, you're going to feel lost. Of course, you're going to feel like, well, I guess this is growing up, you know, like that's, that's how you're going to feel. And there's going to be pain. Um, and it's going to lead to insecurity and, and, and self-loathing. Um, are we ready to go to Adam's song? Is that a good segue? <laughs> sure. Okay. So. I never thought I'd die alone Another six months out be unknown Give all my things to all my friends And never said room in my Never set foot in my room again. This song wrecks me. Yeah. It's just, it's so, so sad. I and can't they, listen to it without crying. I man. know. Yeah. It's so, so sad. Um, and they, the, the guys that wrote it, they, um, Mark and Tom, like they said, it was, it was written about a friend who, um, had committed suicide and it was supposed to show like, they, they wrote it to show like, this is what happens. And like, this is, it was written as like an anti-suicide song. Um, but I think some people like kind of misunderstood it as like a, like a pro suicide song almost. The, so very, very famously um, after the shooting at Columbine high school, I think in 1999, uh, one of the like star basketball players on the Columbine uh, team committed suicide and he left this song like on repeat. Um, 
and to like in his room after he committed suicide. And so th this song has been pretty controversial through the years. And, and uh, Mark and Tom were just like, they were heartbroken by this. It was like, this was the opposite of what we were trying to do. Like we were, we were trying to reach kids who felt in that place to see and, and tell them like, this is not the way out. This is not what you want to do. Look at all the pain that comes from this. Um, but yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to listen to this song for real. Um, yeah. I mean, I had, did you have any friends that committed suicide? Like when you were younger? Or I, I like my, well, I had a friend who's uh, little brother did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I definitely like the sense of isolation and shame that's in the voice in that song. It's like they're capturing what a young person f is feeling like when they're considering suicide. Mm -hmm. And it's this cry, it's this cry to like, to be known and this despair of being known and having a place, right? Like another six months and I'll be unknown. Like you guys will all hurt, but, uh, that'll be gone in six months and then nobody will, will remember me. Like I'm that irrelevant to the world. And I think that is, there's so many people that feel that way. Yeah. And what Blink-182 is doing was like, we're willing to put that to music so that the world knows what this it's like an empathetic exercise and mm -hmm. yeah like i'm sure people who have committed suicide have put that out there to say this is what i feel like right yeah. now mm -hmm. you know i don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing i mean mm -hmm. i wouldn't listen to this song on repeat myself but yeah. like certainly would use it to say to articulate to someone else this is how i feel right now yeah. you know <laughs> like no one else knows how i feel but this song nailed it mm -hmm. and you know that's definitely painful, but I think it's it's an important exercise to listen to it because it's like, if you haven't ever felt this, you need to know what people are going through out there. Yeah. And I think, I think I know I can, I can definitely relate to that feeling of just like being alone, of not knowing if things will get better, not really expecting <laughs> that things will get better. And, and I've, I've never, um, you know, I would never say I've been like clinically depressed or, or anything like that, but I think it's a very common experience that many of us go through and we can, we can kind of almost Im imagine a bit of, of how it feels. But then for those who have struggled with something deeper, a more clinical depression, a longer depression, uh, and then thinking about, well, what if I took my life? What if I, you know, there's a knife over there. What if I, you know, what, what if, what if, what if, and just, it's so hard to go on. Um, I think, a song like this can make people feel seen and heard. Um, but ultimately, yeah, you it can also I mean? leave them. That's the danger. That's the danger. And that, yeah. that's one of the things that I think, like, I sort of, I don't necessarily criticize it, but I think that um, there's like a sense of the blind leading the blind. When mm. you listen to music from this generation, like they are able to say, here's a problem but they aren't able to offer a solution outside of saying, here's the problem, yeah. you know, like mm -hmm. that's the first step, but without hope, you know, without Jesus, like you can kind of, you can only joke about it for so long yeah. until it's just like, no, this just sucks. Like there's no joking anymore. Mm -hmm. And you can just see that developing in the music, right? Yeah. Like nobody else is as funny and fun as Blink-182 after them that is being influenced by them. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I, I go back and I listen to any music from that time and I immediately have to like, it's hard for me. I have to turn it off because it was such a dark 
period of time for me um, that I would I like feel like I was redeemed by by finding God. Um, yeah, because talking about the problem just isn't isn't the solution. Mm-hmm. Well, this this doesn't relate directly to Blink One Eighty Two, but you know, you you grew up in a in a Catholic house, yeah. Yeah. I when did, did when did, when do you feel like it became like real for you? Um. Yeah, it's a good question because it very much ties to my musical journey. Like I, I was, um, I think that Catholicism was very, became real at an adoration on a life teen retreat. Um, when I was able to go to confession and like pray with other people who were being vulnerable. Mm. Um, like one of the things that I loved about Blink-182 or whatever, the pop punk movement was that like it's all these people are willing to sort of share their pain with each other in a way. And you go to like a mosh pit or whatever. And, and it's, it's almost like this cathartic, like worshiping sort of ritual that's religious in a way. And, um, but it, it doesn't have redemption. Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the day, the redemption is like being able to share it and be together. And there is something nice and beautiful about that. But the contrast to that of worship is there actually is a God who can save us and who loves us and give us this identity of the thing that we're missing. Mm. Um, and so it was like, this was a more mature version of the thing that I was so into and excited about in when I went to my first like pop punk show. So yeah. that was like my senior, junior, senior year when I started to kind mm-hmm. of experience those things. I, I, I love the, the, like the key word that stood out to me when you were talking was vulnerability, vulnerability. And I feel like so often, especially as young men, I feel like we often are given that idea of you can't be vulnerable. You have to be strong. And the fact that we have a God that is vulnerable with us and created a church where we boast of our weakness, you know, as St. Paul says, and, and we're meant to have not just concern for the poor, but a preferential option for the poor and vulnerable and marginalized. We're supposed to go out of our way for those who are weakest, right? And so those, and when we find ourselves weak, it's in our week that we find our strength, right? And so finding a community like you did and finding a relationship with God like you did, and that's, that was very much my, my um, journey too, I feel like it shows us that we, we can take the mask down. We can, yeah. we can be vulnerable and be truly seen for who we are. And there's still, there's going to be a God that loves us and there, and, and, and you and I have had some good experiences, but I know I've had some bad experiences too, but, but when church is doing church, well, the church is living out and manifesting that love in, in acceptance. I know that that doesn't always happen. And I've had some bad experiences in church too. And I know some people have had some awful experiences in church where the people in church are doing the opposite of that. <laughs> but, yeah. um, I feel like I, that's what I hear and that's what's resonating with me is we found a community that is manifesting that love of God, that vulnerable love that says, it's okay. You can, you can let down your mask and you can be vulnerable with me. Yeah. So like all of these people kneeling down around a, you know, we, this is pretty classic life team, but you have like a big pyramid of candles yeah. and then uh-huh. on top of it, monstrance, <laughs> the, the burning bush thing. Yeah. Um, and it's dark and like, there's beautiful worship music that is, is as well done as like a Blink-182 concert. Mm-hmm. But instead of everybody facing the band and in some way just like making the band the God or the lyrics, there is an actual God there that everyone is sort of weeping as they are encountering. And um, afterwards, there's a sense 
that's not just catharsis like we got all that out of our system it's like we've been filled up you know that part of us that was like giving and making ourselves empty of our pain was then met by something holy and beautiful and good that then came in and changed us yes. and afterwards you know you can see the dynamic i mean this is one of the things i loved about doing youth ministry was like the difference in the way that people the whole like how, no it doesn't matter how big it was 200 people everyone after adoration is like hugging <laughs> and loving each other and like laughing and the lightness yeah. that's present there is just like unbelievable it's, it's, it's little it's the kingdom heaven. of god yeah yeah it's the kingdom it's of god yeah taste of heaven that's come down and met earth and of course like of of course we just like completely ruin it for ourselves as soon as we go home but like um it does it does give us this sense that there is a way out of our you know pain our like problems our dynamic there is this hope there's this extra power that's above the world yeah. that can bring healing and meet us and yeah. and um yeah so i think that like I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful because when I look at my friends who made emo and pop punk music, they're, that was their God. And, mm -hmm. you know, or, or was their church. Like the darkness of their lives right now makes me so sad. Yeah. You know, uh -huh. they didn't move on past the criticism of society. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And, and those, those yeah. mountaintop moments that you're talking about are so important. And I feel like it's easy to, in retrospect, like, as you were saying, like, it's, it's important to hold on to those moments and remember them in the dark times. But I feel like the temptation a lot of times is, um, you, you were talking about people that like, you feel bad for the darkness in their life. Like a lot of times what I feel bad for is my friends that I had those same mountaintop experiences with. And now it's like, oh, that was just like kid stuff or, oh, that was, that was, uh, spoilers for the end of the uh, Chronicles of Narnia. If you've never read book number seven, but like at the end of the Chronicles of Narnia, Susan, the oldest sister, like she doesn't go back to Narnia with them. She's like, oh, weren't those clever stories that we believed when we were young? It's like, you're supposed to go into the wardrobe and have this experience, which changes you. So then when you're out of the wardrobe, you can be, you can live this transformed life. But then like the real world is, is, is with Aslan. Like that is Aslan's country is the real world. And those mountaintop moments, that's where we get that glimpse of heaven. And it's so easy to then come back out of the wardrobe, go back to regular life and think, oh, well, that was a nice high, but this is all that there is. Um, and I, so I, I think it, it, this is something that you've said a couple times now is Blink-182 is really good at showing us the problem and being vulnerable enough to point out the problem, but they didn't take us the next step. And both you and I were able to find through a healthy church community and through a relationship with God that there is an answer. There is an answer to that, to that vulnerability. Um, the song damn it, um, is a perfect example of this vulnerability. And it's, it's, it's like super aggressive pop punk is like, it's all right to tell me what you think about me. But if you listen to the first verse, it is so beautiful and vulnerable um, and just, just play it a little bit different and it totally hits different. So it's all right to tell me what you think about me. I won't try to argue or hold it against you. I know that you're leaving. You must have your reasons. The season is crawling 
Your pictures are falling down and it happens once again. So the reason I play it that way is because I think I think I often sold Blink-182 short as just kind of being like the irreverent stuff that you talked about, you know, and kind of making fun of everything. But what vulnerability and freedom does it take to say to someone that you care about? You know, it's it's all right to tell me what you think about me. I won't try to argue. I won't get defensive and I won't hold it against you. Like there is, there is, if you have that sort of vulnerability in a relationship and like, I, I, I feel like I cry in every episode, but I'm like, I'm like tearing up a little bit because I'm, I'm thinking about like my wife who like she and I have that sort of relationship where it's like, it's all right to tell me what you think about me. I won't try to argue. I won't hold it against you. Like it is okay. And that comes with like such, I mean, it's prodigal son type love and it comes with such freedom. It's just like, whoo, gets me right in the feels. <laughs> Emo kids home the last. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, um, yeah. Well, one of the things that is like speaking the truth um, opens up a path for honesty and for healing and for relationship. So like, if you look at all of the irreverence and all of that stuff, like what it actually is coming from is like this desire for real relationship and real love. And, um, and, and it's a desire for real mentorship, you know, like all of the criticism of boomers or whatever in society, like (laughs) all of that is come, it's actually not this just straight anger it's like this desire for um real fatherhood and real mentorship and so anyway like i think that um i think that what you're pointing out is like amazing it's yeah there's so much courage that it takes to like reach out and say i want i want real truth and uh you can tell me what you think about me you know like you can say what is on your heart i'm gonna say what's on my heart and hopefully we can actually find our way into real love that mm-hmm. way. Yes. Um, yeah. I, this, this is a, a quote I've shared on the show before, but it comes from John Paul II, who's right behind me. He's, he's in one of these pictures behind me, but it says that man cannot live without love. He remains a being that is incomprehensible for himself. His life is senseless. If love is not revealed to him, if he does not encounter love, if he does not experience it and make it his own, if he does not participate intimately in it. And I feel like that encapsulates so much of the, like so much of what we've talked about here with being a young man and feeling lost and feeling like, I don't know what to do with these problems is, is we need to participate in love. We need to be taught love. We need to know how to love. And that's where we find our identity and our mission and our community is, is in real love. So, um, yeah, that 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 quote just I, I feel like everything we've been talking about can be tied back into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. I, I think I think we're bringing this in for a landing here. Um are there other uh, other blink songs that we just have to talk about before we go? Um I mean <laughs> That's a good question. Uh yeah, first date. I don't know. Oh, I love that song. <laughs> yeah. That's such a fun song. It's just like so cutesy. And he's like, uh, what I love about it is, uh, first of all, like rhythm wise, that little bridge with the like that's Travis Barker at his best. Um, but also, he's like, um, 
talking about how nervous he is and like how he's freaking out. But then he's like, let's make this last forever. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's just like, uh, this one is one of those like, okay, it's honest. This isn't necessarily honest about something that's crazy, but it's yeah. just like accurately depicting an adolescent young man going on his first date. Like I am, I am, I have no idea how to do a date, but let's also get married. You yeah. know, like it's exactly, it's exactly the same thing. And I, I've gotten to be like a DJ for a lot of different weddings uh -huh. for friends and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, being the youth minister, that's got a sound system. Yeah, I, uh, me too. Was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so pretty classic, uh -huh. but, uh, I, for some reason, like I've always, for people who I know like Blink-182, if there's like a couple that I know that like that, mm -hmm. I always toss that on uh -huh. like as the last song as they're leaving, you uh -huh. know, like because the innocence of it, it's like I think it actually ends up capturing what real marriage is. Okay. Like, you know, the first night of being married is probably exactly the same thing. It's like <laughs> I'm nervous, but let's make this last forever. I have no idea what I'm doing and it's kind of embarrassing. No, no, no um, comment. <laughs> <laughs> but no i think that it's it's like part of the innocence of that is like actually redeemed in marriage you know and yeah. uh like there's a, a place for that innocence to be um in, in real life so anyway i just that's really I, beautiful i, I, like I that. love that yeah yeah um the uh i was just thinking of first like my first girlfriend i like ever took on a date it was it was so awkward and i think she was nervous she like didn't eat anything of her dinner and i was like a teenage boy so like i ate my meal and then she didn't finish her she didn't like touch hers and i was like are you gonna eat that so dinner was me eating my entire meal and then her entire meal <laughs> Bad form, first date. Bad form. Bad man. form. Bad form. <laughs> this is what it, this is what we are when I we're know. left to our own devices and we don't have mentorship to yep. show us the way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yep. Uh huh. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad we talked about that song. That's good. If you, it, what are, what are, if people aren't familiar with Blink 182 or it's been a while, what are like the the three songs they gotta listen to? Oh my god. I can I can uh, go first if you want. Yeah, you do. Okay, so I love First Date. That's one of my favorites. I love a Rock Show. The Girl at the Rock Show is also another good one. And uh, Damn It, the one that I that I sang before. I, I just think those are those are the best of Blink One Eighty Two. They're super fun, and Travis Barker is amazing on them. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I I would say I would say um, Anthem Part Two because I like I I actually think that the song is masterful, mm -hmm. um, and I would say. Uh, first date i would add that one for sure mm -hmm. and then man this this one is really hard um i don't know i don't know <laughs> if i have if i can add it because all the other ones are so good uh -huh. but it's like it's it's the cd man it's oh it's like the album the whole do you have, do you have a what's your favorite yeah. album of theirs i don't know them well enough to have like a favorite album do you uh, have a take off album? your pants and jacket okay for sure. yeah. <laughs> i forgot that's what they called their <laughs> album <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> take off your pants and jack all right well and with that so listeners i promised you at the beginning that you would by the end you would have some bite-sized nuggets to apply to your life for how we can live the gospel so let's try to anthony let's try to pick one thing what's what's one thing we can implement in our lives uh from this that can help us live the gospel better in our lives and know god's love um <laughs> uh go on lots of first dates no um <laughs> I, I would say yeah seeking out mentorship when when feeling like gypped by uh or like not led 
I, I think that like taking it on yourself to to go and seek out mentorship rather than going it alone is actually a really important thing. That is brilliant advice. What I was going to say was vulnerability, but I think those are kind of two sides of the same coin because it takes vulnerability to go out and seek that mentorship. So I think, uh, and it's, and what you said is better because just vulnerability in general, you can be vulnerable with anyone, but mentorship, it's like, let's choose a wise person who's going to guide me to be vulnerable with first. Right. So I like your answer better. <laughs> Yeah, I think Blink-182 is really vulnerable, you know, and I think that's, it's awesome, but it also is like, it's not enough. Yes. Right. Okay. Like it's like, Mm -hmm. there's a a sense of going further with that vulnerability to say, like, I, it's not just other, it's not just these feelings and it's not just other people that are causing the problem. Like the brokenness of the world is in me and I need to find, I need to find people who can show me the way through this crazy journey that is called life, Amen. you know, Amen. And growing Amen. up. So cool. Well, yeah. let's, let's close this out in prayer. I can close. Would, would you like to close this out with a, a prayer about what we've talked about? Sure. Yeah. Awesome. Let's do Good. it. And listeners, wherever you are, uh, please just take a moment and let's pray together. Yeah. In the, name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, you are the one who confers identity to us. And, um, we want to come to you with honesty about the brokenness that we experience in the world the brokenness that we see in the world. Um, when we feel like everything is falling to pieces and earth is dying, um, we come to you and ask for help. Uh, we ask you, Jesus, to be our power. And we ask you to bring into our lives um, older and wiser uh, people who can show us through their vulnerability to us what true life and true growth and true maturity looks like and what it takes Um, We ask that you would heal those broken links between generations, um, the places where we feel like we haven't been um, led and that we have been misguided. Um, We ask that you would bring onto our hearts people who who we could trust, uh, bring into our lives people who we could trust to restore us um, and give us that guidance. We ask all of this in your name as we pray, our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Anthony, so much. And thank you, listeners, for going on this journey with us. If you liked this episode, if this touched you in any way, I really encourage you to share this with somebody that you think would benefit from this conversation. Maybe they're a music fan. Maybe they're just somebody you think that needs to hear this. And if you really want to support us, the best way to do that is by going to popculturecatechism.com, where you can become a patron of this show. There are six giving levels that you can choose that fit your your budget or your tithe, and you get the exclusive content that comes out with each episode. Like, for example, in a moment, right after this, we're going to record some exclusive content for patrons about some other emo pop punk music that we really love and we think is great. So we're going to do that in just a moment. But also all the talks that I give in my speaking ministry, I record them and they go in there as well and lots of other cool things as well. And patrons have access to all that as part of the Awaken app. The Awaken app is a free app um, with... A great Christian Catholic community. It's got a Christian uh, music library and prayer library. And uh, if you are a patron of one of the shows on Awakening Catholic, you also get access to a lot of premium content, uh, such as all the talks and uh, exclusive content for the shows that I mentioned already. So thank you for your support. Uh, We love you and we'll see you next time. 
A special thank you and shout out to all of our patrons who make this show possible, but especially Carl and Melissa Gore, Lisa and Bob Tenney, Stephen Maggie Hubbard, Rob Smith, and Tom and Emily Comberiati. Thank you so, 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 so much.